Hello, mental health warriors. Welcome back to Therapy Tools. I know it's been a while, and today's episode is going to focus on um, kind of a deeper dive into alcoholism. I've had a lot of questions lately. Um, People who have been in a relationship with an alcoholic, who have shared some of their stories. Um, I've attended some Al-Anon groups and heard some stories. And one thing I find interesting is that um, everybody who describes um, different scenarios with their alcoholic, they all have a similarity. It's almost like they're all with the same person, just a different name. They They all... end up with the same personality type. And so it it really got me thinking. And I, I have some people who, they asked me, when I'm first dating somebody, how will I know if they're an alcoholic? Because, you know, I've been fooled before. And then you get in stuck into this relationship with an alcoholic, and it's really hard to get out. So on that note... Um, I can give you some some signs to look for uh, to to tell if the person is a full blown alcoholic or if they're just having a couple drinks and dinner with you and having a good time. Um, one of the first clues is looking at their skin and their eyes. So if somebody's a stone cold alcoholic, they've been a long time heavy drinker they will have a lot of broken capillaries on their face. And um, that's like really small veins under the skin that you can see. And they'll be either red or um, maybe a bluish color or pinkish. And it'll kind of look like um, little spider webs under their skin on their face. Um, And, you know, of course you want to rule out rosacea. Uh, People who have rosacea can end up with broken capillaries on their face and nose. Um, With alcoholism, it's generally around the nose and the sides of the nose and the cheeks, upper cheeks right under the eyes. Um, This can also occur with rosacea or if a woman has gone through uh, perimenopause or menopause, the hot flashes can actually cause the skin to have broken capillaries. So... Make sure you're ruling out those factors. If none of those factors exist, then it's a pretty good chance that person might be uh, an alcoholic. But you want to look for other signs to go with those broken capillaries. Okay, so looking at their eyes, if somebody has been a long-time heavy drinker, the whites of their eyes will appear a little yellowish. And um, the eyelids, the, 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 the water line, the bottom eyelid... Um, when they drink, it will tend to have a, a kind of a sag to it. It'll look not, it'll look like it's not firm and tight and healthy. It'll kind of look like there's a little bit of a sag, um, and it looks a little gross. So if they get a couple drinks in them and their eyelids start to look like that and the whites of their eyes are yellowy and, um, yellowish brown or yellowish, um, that indicates some liver damage has occurred over uh, a long, a long-term abuse of alcohol. Another sign to look for is um, how much they drink 
and how high their tolerance is. If somebody has been a long-term heavy drinker, they can drink massive amounts of alcohol and appear to function just fine. However, one telltale sign is that they're walking, they're talking, they may drive, which is super dangerous. Um, but in the process of this, uh, when they talk, they, they tend to repeat the same things over and over. So it's almost like being with somebody who has dementia. They'll, um, you know, you might start the night out having a glass of wine or a martini or something with them. And they might tell you, you know, back in the day, I used to um, go to the horse races all the time. And, and I lost a lot of money, but then uh, I won one time and I won big and it was amazing. And like, I was even in the news, like it was really cool. That was back in 1994, right? And then they might say, um, since then I've never gambled because I feel like after you've won that big, you probably will never <laughs> win again. So I don't do it anymore, but that was neat. And that's kind of like one of their big defining moments, their claim to fame, you know, whatever. And maybe a, a few hours after that, you might be at another area of your date or hanging out or whatever, and they will tell you that story again. And they'll continue repeating themselves. So they repeat themselves a lot as if they have dementia. And usually it only takes one or two drinks to get them in that loop-de-loop -loop mode. Um, because they already have done damage to their brain from the long-term drinking. Another, another good sign to look for is if you're not an alcoholic and you go and have a couple of drinks and good conversation and you sing karaoke and you have a great time, the next day you're going to remember all of it. You'll remember your conversations. You'll remember getting up and singing and you'll remember dancing and you'll remember just laughing and having a good time. An alcoholic will have little to no memory of the night before. And you could have a heartfelt conversation with an alcoholic and pour your heart out to them. And the next day it's as if it never happened because they don't remember. So that's another thing to look for. So we have, we have the broken capillaries on the face combined with how their eyes look, combined with their memory, their recall of past night's events, uh, with, uh, also coupled with tolerance. How high is their tolerance level? If you're not a big drinker, then you know that one or two glasses of wine will make you feel a little loopy and goofy, right? If you're an alcoholic, you can drink a whole bottle of wine and still walk and talk and appear to be fully functioning. And alcoholics also, um, they will get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee and then follow it with a shot of whiskey or a beer, and they'll, they'll drink all day, all night, they don't care. Um, somebody who's not an alcoholic, they tend to not drink unless there's a birthday party or a holiday, or maybe they had a stressful week, so they say, you know what, tonight I'm going to have a nice martini or Long Island iced tea, and I'm just going to relax. Um, so there is a big difference, and another sign would be um, somebody pointed this out to me, and I said, oh, that person's definitely an alcoholic. Um, 
they were on a second date and um she ordered two Long Island iced teas and if you've if you've ever had one of those you know it has a few different alcohols in it already and she ordered the top shelf Long Island iced tea which means you have premium alcohol and it's more expensive and it's they're pretty good right and her date pulled the Long Island, drank some of it down, right? And then pulled it under the table, pulled a flask out of their jacket and poured a a whole bunch of whiskey into the Long Island iced tea. Um, That's definitely a telltale sign. Or if you're going to the movies and every time you go to the movies with this person, they will order a big Coke and dump out part of it. And then when they get into the theater, they'll dump a, you know, a medium-sized bottle of rum or something into the drink. Um, they can't seem to go anywhere without alcohol. So that's a big telltale sign that somebody's an alcoholic. They have to have alcohol wherever they go, even if it's a children's birthday party. Um They'll be asking, hey, where's the booze? And if there is none, they'll go buy some. So those are definitely signs. And, and, you know, the most obvious sign of all, if somebody's an alcoholic, they're going to not have control over their drinking. They will drink so excessively that they black out, pass out, pee and poop themselves, and they're just a hot mess on the floor. Um, Alcoholics also tend to not really get hangovers. You know, uh, somebody who's not an alcoholic... Like, let's say you have two or three shots of tequila and a beer. The next morning, you're probably going to have a headache, going to feel slightly nauseated and tired and dehydrated and all that. Alcoholics just seem to, uh, you know, the tolerance thing again. They get up and they're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm going to work now. You know, a functioning alcoholic. They can do that. They can get up, drink coffee, go to work. And on their lunch break, they might do a shot of whiskey on their way home, they stop at a gas station and get some whiskey or whatever their drink of choice is. And on the way home, they're pouring it into their soda and drinking it. And then when they come through the door, of course, they pull out the bottle and start drinking. And that's their daily routine. So those are some signs that somebody might be an alcoholic. So if you're if you're newly in a new relationship or dating somebody who shows any of these signs, I would suggest that you be very cautious because getting into a relationship with an alcoholic is no fun. And once you're in it and it's hard to get away from it, it's torture for you. And um, let me just recap a few things about what alcohol does to your body and your brain, okay? It does a lot. It does a lot of damage. So I have, I have a diagram of the brain in front of me, right? And um, the front part of our brain is called the frontal lobe, and it's responsible for um, take, taking ideas, actions, and words and putting them into a linear sequence. It's responsible for creating new patterns of ideas, language, writing, philosophy, impulsive talking, personality. It also is in charge of inhibitions, you know, making you not say what you shouldn't say, Um, talking to yourself a little bit about what you're going to do next, that kind of thing. 
And then we have the parietal lobe, and that's the back, that big round area on the back of your skull. And that part of your brain is responsible for math, for vision, matching vision of letters with sounds of words, spatial arrangement of language, um, sensations in your, in your arms, legs, muscle coordination, speed of repetitive action and your balance. That's the cerebellum at the bottom part of the parietal ridge. And uh, the temporal lobe, that's your temple area. That's responsible for um, putting a face to a name and a name to a face, your memory, your um, language, your stories, um, emotional memory, that kind of thing, okay? So alcohol affects the entire brain. It affects the vision. It affects the memories. It affects um, your personality, your judgment. Um, how many people can sit down and create, if you're good at math to begin with, right? <laughs> create an algebraic equation when you're wasted drunk. It might be difficult. Um, so alcohol does a lot to the brain and the body. And... Um, being with somebody who's addicted to alcohol is often equated with watching a fly circle the drain, you know, a fly that's, or a spider, you know, have you ever seen a spider in the shower and you're like, ah, and you spray the spider and you're watching it circle the drain and it's not dead yet, but it's almost there. It's drowning, it's struggling and it's circling the drain. And then it finally goes down the drain and you're like, oh, relief. <laughs> um, being with an alcoholic is kind of like that because, but you never really see them go down the drain. They continue circling the drain and struggling and you can't help them no matter what you do. They have to want to help themselves. Um, so if, if you are already in a relationship with an alcoholic, I highly recommend you go hang out at some AA meetings. Um, it helps you have a better understanding of the alcoholic. And also go to Al-Anon meetings because in Al-Anon, they support the person who is with the alcoholic. And um, they have a big focus on correcting the caretaking side of your personality, correcting that codependency, um, and setting boundaries for yourself. So we, we talk about boundaries, and a lot of people make the mistake of thinking we're setting the boundary for somebody else. You're actually setting the boundaries for yourself in relation to others, okay? So with an alcoholic, you have to set a ton of boundaries. And whether or not they respect them, it's important to do your best to not give in to what they want. Um, so... The effects on the brain, let's go back to that for a minute, okay? The effects on the brain, this is from an article from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. And this is a scientific um, article that's written up. So up to 80% of alcoholics have a deficiency in thiamine. And some of these people will go on to develop serious brain disorders, such as Wernick-Korsakoff syndrome. 
WKS is a disease that consists of two separate syndromes, a short-lived and severe condition called Warnick's, okay, this is a big word, encephalopathy. (laughs) I apologize. It is early in the morning here right now while I do this. Uh, And long-lasting debilitating conditions known as Korsakoff psychosis. The symptoms of this include mental confusion, paralysis of the nerves that move the eyes. So another, another, you know, clue is in the eyes and difficulty with muscle coordination. For example, patients with this disease may be too confused to find their way out of a room or may not even be able to walk. Um, Many of these patients, however, do not exhibit all three signs and symptoms, and clinicians working with alcoholics must be aware that this disorder may be present even if the patient shows only one or two symptoms. In fact, studies performed after death indicate that many cases of thiamine deficiency related to this disease may not be diagnosed in life because not all of the classic symptoms are present or recognized. Approximately 80 to 90% of alcoholics with this disease also develop psychosis, a chronic and debilitating syndrome characterized by persistent learning and memory issues. And although these patients have problems remembering old information, retrograde amnesia, it is their difficulty in laying down new information, antigrade anterograde amnesia. That is the most striking. For example, these patients can discuss in detail an event in their lives, but an hour later might not remember ever having the conversation. The cerebellum is an area of the brain responsible for coordinating movement and perhaps even some forms of learning and appears to be particularly sensitive to the effects of thiamine deficiency and its region most frequently damaged in association with chronic alcohol consumption. Administering thiamine helps to improve brain function, especially in patients in the early stages of this disease. When damage to the brain is more severe, the course of care shifts from treatment to providing support to the family and friends. Custodial care could be necessary. Scientists believe that a genetic variation could be one explanation for why only some alcoholics with thiamine deficiency go on to develop more severe conditions, such as this disease. But additional studies are necessary to clarify how genetic variants might cause some people to be more vulnerable than others. And then we have liver disease, which is pretty common, right? We've heard about that. Most people realize that Heavy, long-term drinking causes liver damage. The liver is chiefly responsible for breaking down alcohol into harmless byproducts and clearing it from the body. But people may not be aware that prolonged liver dysfunction, such as cirrhosis resulting from excessive alcohol consumption, can can harm the brain, leading to serious and potentially fatal brain disorders known as hepatic Insophilopathy. I should have like looked this word up to pronounce it. I apologize. Um, so this condition can cause changes in sleep patterns, mood, and personality. Psychiatric conditions such as anxiety and depression, severe cognitive effects such as shortened attention span, and problems with coordination such as flapping or shaking of the hands. 
In the most serious cases, patients may slip into a hepatic coma, which can be fatal. So think of the people you've heard about that go, go into the hospital with alcohol poisoning. They go into a coma and die. That's what happens. Um, okay, so that gives you an idea. And uh, on the summary of this article, it says, Alcoholics are not all alike. They can experience different degrees of impairment, and the disease has different origins for different people. Consequently, researchers have found that conclusive evidence that any one variable, variable is solely responsible for the brain deficits found in alcoholics. Characterizing what makes some alcoholics vulnerable to brain damage, whereas others are not uh, the subject of active research. The good news is that most alcoholics with cognitive impairment show some improvement in brain structure and functioning within one year of abstinence, though some people take much longer. Clinicians must consider a variety of treatment methods to help people stop drinking and recover from alcohol-related brain impairments and tailor these treatments to each individual patient as all alcoholics are different. Okay, so that's where they're different genetically, but personality-wise... They tend to be very similar. So I'm going to jump over. Let's take a quick break right here. This looks like a good place to take a break. And then I'm going to talk to you about King Baby Syndrome. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right. King baby syndrome or queen baby syndrome. This this term was coined by Sigmund Freud in the 1930s. It comes from a mental condition where this person believes that the world revolves around them. They're like a little toddler. And it's very common with alcoholics. So let's look at King Baby Syndrome. If you've been to AA or Al-Anon, you know what this is. So how, how can you tell if somebody has King Baby or King uh, Queen Baby Syndrome? And they also call it Princess Syndrome. Um, so adult babies require you to be there for them all the time and they want to be left alone when the time comes for them to be responsible. Loved ones will do everything they can for these people, the loved ones, especially the caretakers, and that ends up enabling the little adult baby and, uh, family and friends will support them. And again, that enables them and they end up never having to take any kind of responsibility. So some of the characteristics of the king baby or the queen baby are as follows. They're drawn to the caretakers. They're drawn to the nurturers. They're drawn to the codependent people. Oh, they love you if you're codependent or a caretaker. They're very close-minded. They're always seeking outside approval or people-pleasing behaviors from others. Um, they have catastrophic thinking. They catastrophize a lot. 
they're very judgmental, very critical of other people. They have a fear or rebellion to authority. They're very pleasant as long as their needs are met. They're very hypersensitive. They can be extremely charming, but they have a very vindictive nature. They have difficulty maintaining long-term relationships. Their family relationships are usually strained or distant. So the family might think they're a wonderful person, but the family doesn't really know them because they don't, they're not close and they don't have a lot of contact. Um, they have no problem abandoning friendships when that friend tries to hold them accountable or says, hey, you might be drinking too much there. Um, they live in the past and, and they live off of their past merits, which means whatever their claim to fame was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, um, that is what they base their self-worth on, and that is what they brag about and tout to everybody who will listen. And, of course, if you hear that their story of their claim to fame from 20 years ago uh, and you don't respond with uh, some sort of reaction that seems like you're very impressed or interested, they get pissed off. They get mad. Um they have black and white thinking, you know, that all or nothing mentality. You're either all wonderful to them or you are an evil bitch to them. You know, it just depends on the day and what they've asked you for and whether or not you've complied. Um, they believe that basic rules of etiquette, of conversation, of social interaction, and even sometimes the law do not apply to them. And... They uh, tend to have frequent anger outbursts, and um, they tend to be very passive-aggressive. So the history of the king baby syndrome comes from the story of Narcissus, who famously drowned in a pool of water after becoming obsessed with his own reflection in Greek mythology. And uh, in, it, it can develop in childhood, you know, this king baby king queen baby syndrome <coughs> excuse me it it usually develops in childhood and um it it becomes a progression of survival tools to help that baby survive because they were neglected they were abused something happened in their life that caused them to shift into this mode and stay there um Usually, a lot, I, I, I won't say usually, I'll say a lot of people do grow out of that uh, syndrome. They grow up, they mature, they realize nobody owes them anything, they have to hold themselves accountable, they mature into an adult, and they become an adult. But some people never grow out of it. It's arrested development. They stay in this toddler mode for the rest of their lives until the day they die. Um... And, you know, when their needs are not met, they're going to throw a fit. So this results in uh, an inner struggle. The core of their, their being is this wounded child. And uh, this, this type of narcissism is just really you're pursuing gratification. You want um, admiration. 
You want people to just fawn all over you and wait on you hand and foot. Um, core beliefs can be our deepest seated pain in life. So when these are painful beliefs, they create the core wounded child. And they are the oldest and most miserable friends that the alcoholics have. So for most of us, these core wounds within us are ruled by two mistaken beliefs, that you're flawed and bad, or that you have to change who you are to become acceptable. So if a healthy person's feeling this way and you're not an alcoholic, um, you're, you're seeking therapy, you're looking at self-help books, you're browsing videos from certain life coaches on YouTube, you're looking for ways to move past this. The alcoholic just drinks and drinks and drinks to escape it. So that gives you an idea on a king or queen baby syndrome. Now let's look at the caretaker personality. Okay. So you know, we always hear about codependency, like, oh, no, you, you're codependent. You need to get a handle on that. Um, making it sound like being codependent is a curse or a bad thing, okay? Being codependent is not a horrible thing. If we look at the, uh, the archetypes, archetypes of personality, uh, more famously presented by Carl Jung, He's a psychodynamic therapist who studied under Freud but didn't jive with all the sexual connotations in Freud's stuff. So he branched out on his own. Brilliant person. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, go check out some of his work. Brilliant. Anyway, um, the caretaker archetype is the one who finds fulfillment and happiness in life through taking care of others. They are moved by a strong desire to help other people. They have innate compassion. They are selfless, and they seek opportunities to support the most vulnerable in society. So you see why an alcoholic wants a caretaker, right? They're going to go above and beyond. They're going to try to heal you, help you, take care of you, because you're a helpless king baby or queen baby. Um... And, you know, you can become an enabler. And because your heart is so big and pure, it's hard to break away from that. And that's why if you end up in a relationship with one of these people, it's so hard to leave. <laughs> it, se you know, it seems like on the surface, anybody looking in from the outside would be like, no, it's cut and dry. It's simple. Get the hell out of there. You're stupid if you stay, right? That's not the case. When you're in it, it's different. Because not every, every day you're going to have the annoyances. You're going to have some negative, negative stuff happen. But you're also going to have some positives. You know, nobody stays somewhere where it's pure hell 24-7. There are positives that keep you there. And there are positives that keep you loving this person, this adult baby. And you just can't, you feel you can't abandon them. However, if you're in this state and you're a caretaker personality or a codependent there are ways to feed that need inside of you without degrading yourself to being a slave to an alcoholic so let's explore some of that okay 
Um, many caretakers who are healthy and not attached to a soul-sucking infant have jobs such as a nurse. They work in medicine. They might be a teacher. They might be a social worker, therapist. They might run a daycare. Um, caretaker archetypes have these traits and characteristics. Those around the caretaker can look to them as an example of humanity's best qualities. They're generous. They're empathic. They sacrifice themselves, not to the point of being a martyr, but they'll give up their needs to meet somebody else's, and they'll take care of themselves later. They're very compassionate, and they love serving others. The caretaker is trustworthy with only your best interests at heart. They prioritize prioritize the needs and well-being of others above themselves. The caretaker is a strong team player, being generous with their encouragement for others as well as a good listener and advisor when those around them are troubled due to emotional their their high emotional intelligence. They are often the cheerleader for everyone around them. They're always trying to boost people's confidence and brighten people's days and give them uh, something to smile about. And if they see somebody who's sad, they, they're always the clown to cheer them up. Um, the caretaker is um, a highly moral person. They have a strong sense of right and wrong. So they're the type of person who won't cheat on you. They're the type of person who won't steal from you. Um, they'll make sure that all of your bills are paid. And if you're being ripped off, they'll go to bat for you. If you're being uh, cheated on, your friend who's a caretaker is going to tell you about it and say, hey, this is wrong. This is what's happening. I saw. I have evidence. Um, they want to take care of people. They always seek to uh, right the wrongs when they see something wrong. They have really strong willpower, too. They're very strong people. Um, they will fight for change when it's needed. And they're very hardworking. The caretaker is always willing to use their position and their power and their contacts to achieve what they believe is morally correct and also what will benefit people. Um, so here are some examples of caretakers throughout history. Nelson Mandela is often pointed out as a good example of a real archetypal caretaker. As an individual with strong moral compass who fought for equal rights for all of South African society and sought to ensure that black South Africans were provided with a decent standard of living. Another example is a British wartime hero named Sir Nicholas Winton. He was responsible for saving 669 Jewish children in World War II. It's estimated that at least 6,000 people are alive today who would have not been had he not rescued them. So other figures that fit the caretaker archetype include Princess Diana, Bono from, uh, oh, what's the, what's the band? U2, Bono from U2, uh, Mother Teresa, Oscar Schindler, and Bob Geldof. So you can see that being a caretaker or a codependent is a beautiful thing. We just, you know, like everything else, we have to have that balance. 
So if you're living with an alcoholic, you're probably a caretaker. And that's probably why you decided to click on this episode and check it out, right? And you know what it's like to live with an alcoholic. Um, It's hard. It is hard. So when you live with an alcoholic and you're a caretaker, you end up doing everything. You're taking responsibility for financial obligations. You're allowing or accepting that the alcoholic might be calling in sick to work when really they're just hungover or drunk. Um, you're accepting part of the blame for the alcoholic's behaviors. Um, you avoid talking about your concerns because you don't want to upset them. You know, I feel like you're drinking too much. Uh, of course, the king baby or queen baby will get defensive and tell you to mind your business. Um, and when you're living with an alcoholic, you can end up getting addicted to them. Meaning, uh, you know, I've talked about trauma bonding. That's basically being addicted to a toxic person. And the addiction is just as strong as cocaine, heroin, all the other addictions out there, right? And the the way we become addicted is uh, because of what I talked about earlier. You have your bad days, and it's terrible. And you feel you think thoughts like, why can't they love me enough to just cut back on their drinking? Why can't they love our kids enough to stop being drunk and go go to their games? Why can't they care? And that rips your self-esteem into shreds. And then you have a good day. You have a good day where your alcoholic is loving and kind and maybe they don't drink as much that day and you remember all the reasons why you love them. And that brings your self-esteem back up that I'm doing a good thing here. I'm taking care of this person and they're seeing me. They're validating me. This is good. I feel good. That's the feeling you get addicted to. So imagine if you were locked in a cage and starved and every couple of days somebody threw an old stale saltine cracker at you. When you eat that cracker, that is going to be the most delicious, fantastic cracker you've ever had. And you'll be so grateful to have it. And then you'll suffer through three or four days of no food again and they'll throw you another one of those crackers. And you're, oh, that's your favorite cracker in the world. And when you get released from the cage, you'll probably go buy cases and cases of saltine crackers because they kept you alive. That's kind of what it's like with an alcoholic or toxic person. We get these little crumbs thrown at us now and then, and it feels like it's so much better than what it really is because we have been neglected and rejected and just abused and then boom that beautiful saltine cracker and you're like oh god that was great I want more of those so it creates a reward system that creates an addiction and uh, we have to stop eating those damn crackers (laughs) Um, I hope this was a helpful episode for you and I will definitely talk more about this um, because it's it's just not easy and it's heartbreaking, honestly. It's heartbreaking being with somebody who's an alcoholic and they're defensive and they're angry. And oh, I wanted to mention there's a there's a condition called anhedonia. And 
this this basically means that the person damaged their brain so much they can no longer feel joy. The the joy receptors in their brain are fried. They're gone. They're burned up. The alcohol killed them. They have an inability to experience pleasure uh, due to impairment or dysfunction of normal psychological and neurobiological mechanisms. And um, once you once you have anhedonia, sometimes it can be permanent. Sometimes your brain can heal and reverse it, but it's really sad when it becomes permanent. And people who drink too much can permanently damage their brain and cause this. Um, and then it's really difficult to be with that alcoholic because they're just overtly sad, and nothing makes them happy. And when you're a caretaker, that's devastating that you can't make somebody happy. Um, so signs that the person that you just met might be an alcoholic. Broken capillaries in the face coupled with eyes that are kind of yellowish. Maybe the bottom eyelid, the waterline is a little saggy from the eye and bright red on the waterline. Um, they can tolerate large quantities of alcohol and seem to be just fine. Um, they have terrible short-term memory. They're stuck in memories of the past. They repeat themselves a lot. They may black out. Some of them are violent and angry when they drink. Some of them are not. Um, they have king baby or queen baby syndrome. They're like a big, helpless adult baby and very frustrating. Very frustrating to have to deal with. Um, if you're already in a relationship with this person and you are a caretaker, let's shift the focus back onto you. Make the boundaries for you, not other people. You can only control you. So shift the focus back to yourself. And if you are not in a career where you can utilize your beautiful caretaker traits and characteristics, then it's time to look for something like that. You can volunteer. You can go get a part-time job somewhere. Um, whatever you need to do to fill that need within yourself in a positive way rather than wasting it on an alcoholic. And if you want to leave the alcoholic and you want to get away from the alcoholic, I suggest starting to attend Al-Anon meetings and talk to other people who have done it or who are thinking of doing it. You can really get some great support there. Talk to family and friends. Let them know that, you know, this is unhealthy and you're ready to go and you're, you're trying to set up a plan. I know if you're a caretaker, it's hard to reach out and ask for help, but you are a strong, strong person and you can do that. If you're in a relationship with an alcoholic and you're choosing to stay, um, utilize your caretaking traits and characteristics outside of the relationship. Don't take anything personally that they say to you and do your best to not enable them too much in the house. You know, make them get up and make their own plate, make them uh, do their own stuff. Don't don't do everything for them. Um, if they want you to file their taxes, make them file their own taxes, make them take some responsibility for their own life. And if they are too wasted to enjoy their grandchildren, don't try to cover it. Don't try to make up for it. Let them have their natural consequences. 
I know it's tough, but you deserve more. You deserve to be happy. So I hope this was helpful and I appreciate you tuning in and I will definitely be back with more episodes this week on um, archetype personalities and alcoholism and families and marriage, marriage, more on marriage. So thank you for tuning in and if there's anything particular that you would like me to address and talk about, um, shoot me an email or leave a comment here and I will get on that for you. So enjoy your day, choose you, love yourself, you are worth it.